Oh man, I'm really excited about this. What we're doing for Lent, um, we're going to Brian Zahn's book, uh, Unvarnished Jesus or Jesus Unvarnished. I always get it mixed up. Which one is it, by the way? Unvarnished Jesus. So uh, you before J except after Z, I don't know. Uh, Unvarnished Jesus. And basically, we're just, it goes through all these Jesus stories and challenges the version of Jesus that we may have settled on. Because anytime Jesus kind of neatly fits in your little categories, anytime you think you've mastered a theology of Jesus where you can just move to argument, argumentation, or if you, you know, I actually know people that think understanding the person of Christ is like Christianity 101, and then you learn how to debate the finer points. And guys, I don't know if... Uh, in my life, there's still many areas where I fail to love, like Jesus loved. And let's just say uh, we don't ever master Jesus. We interact with Jesus and grow to be like this person we hang out with little by little for the rest of our lives. Christians in the world are people that think this is just the simple theology and I'm moving on to deeper things. Uh, you know, it, anyone ever encountered institutionalized mean followers of Jesus, or maybe read about them or heard about them, maybe in the news and stuff. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been a mean person on many occasions. Actually, I used to think that memorizing and learning specific arguments, whether ontological arguments for the existence of God, cosmological arguments for existence of God, uh, existential arguments, because if I could like own someone in those debates, somehow they would find Jesus. And imagine like humiliating someone by owning them in a debate, being a way to discover Jesus says, come to me all who are weak and weary and I'm going to give you a nap time. I mean, there's, that, there's a, that juxtaposition of like winning an argument, which you know what, what that comes down to is people generally are motivated by one of three things and all these things really are kind of one thing, and money, sex, and power. And prestige can involve any of those things. To be an influencer involves, and a lot of times, it, I, you don't know where one begins and the other ends. Because it's essentially, if you boil down our ability to assert power and authority, um, it's really about saying we're God. It's, an, it's alleging that we are God. And generally, we make terrible gods but we're really good image bearers of God, meaning we carry a flag that points to Jesus as we limp through life. And by the way, I've been, I've been having some major problems with my uh, right leg, if you can pray, uh, uh, plantar fasciitis in my knee and everything. So if I suddenly start limping, uh, just say a quick prayer for me. But anyway, uh, what we've been doing is reading Brian Zahn's uh, book. And uh, June, where's June? June is hosting a Zoom call Eight in the morning, uh, there's a link on our uh, Facebook page. And actually, Carl, the link is bundled. Unless it's changed, the link has been bundled together with our Ash Wednesday link. If we could have a separate link that's kind of pinned to the top, maybe we already do and I didn't notice it. But please join us. I've actually had conflicting meetings for the Zoom call, so I've literally gone to the meeting until someone shows up in my other meeting and bowed out. But just to get that time to pray together and go over this devotional, um, it's been a really uh, life-giving time for me.
But so what we're doing on Sundays, very simply, is we're just going to read the devotional from the book, read the scripture attached to the devotional, and I want to make some additional comments, and then we're going to pray. And the final part of our service is actually mix and mingle, meet and greet, socially awkward situations, make connections with people you don't know, and just feel weird but strangely loved, because if you haven't awkwardly introduced yourself to someone and you talk, uh, it's weird, and that person may actually be super kind to you and accept you, and in that case, Jesus has shown up. And most, one thing we do as part of our liturgy, the, is we, the apex of our service takes three, uh, it has three parts to it. It's communion. We, we break the bread, we drink the cup, celebrating that all of our life flows from the cross-shaped life of Jesus in the power of his resurrection. Uh, the other thing is we acknowledge that we are a body of believers and we don't follow this behavioral modification code of how to be good people that we rely on an interaction with the God who loves us the Holy Spirit who is with us and the way we practice that is we pray for each other that is an indisposable part of our liturgy and thirdly is we do what we can't really do effectively online, even though we've tried and have some effect, and that's have a face-to-face -face conversation or face-to-mask or eye-to-eye -eye conversation or whatever it is. And, um, you know, there's a million good reasons to wear masks and not wear masks, and I just commend everyone here, every mask I see, I'm not wearing one right now, the mask mandate's been lifted, but those of you wearing masks, good on you. I mean, seriously, I... Uh, when I see the mask is a badge of consideration, I've heard some people say, well, that's just fear and I have faith. I said, you know what? Uh, I have faith and I've been vaccinated against polio. Can you, I would walk even worse than I do right now, right? So I, 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 I'm a faithfully vaccinated against polio guy. Uh, you know, I was just saying that I, uh, because most people take polio. I mean, can you imagine people saying, you know, the polio vaccine is really crippling? I'm sorry, Adrian's saying, you're going to run out of time. And you're... Okay, anyway. Oh. So I had to reset my networks, and I haven't got my printer set up in a month, so that's why you see me preaching off this iPad. I like paper because I get to give my notes to Cindy after every service, and I'm not giving you my iPad, sister. But I will get my printer. Remind me, pray for me that I get my printer hooked up, and then you can have my notes. So anyway, um, I want to read the Matthew chapter. I want to read the uh, devotional. This is Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Here it goes. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and James' brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Then, astonishingly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus. Yes, if you're not thinking this is strange, something is wrong. Peter just had to say something. Master, he said to Jesus, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and there came a voice out of the cloud. This is my dear son, said the voice. I am delighted with him. Pay attention to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were scared out of their wits. And Jesus came out and touched them. Like Jesus, like, can you imagine Jesus going, okay, guys, you're fine. This is my dad. He's cool. Just chill. You know, Jesus came out and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw nobody except Jesus all by himself. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them strict instructions. Hey, don't tell anyone about this vision, he said, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And here's our our reflection for today. Um, The transfiguration of Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor is the crescendo of his ministry in Galilee. And it marks the point where Jesus begins his long march south to Jerusalem to the cross. And as Jesus came down from the top of the mountain, he speaks to Peter, James, and John about his impending death, something he just revealed to his disciples six days before. After the transfiguration, the music score in the gospel story, the soundtrack, if you will, changes from a major to a minor key. You know, like, dun, 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 dun. You know, like, that's kind of what I hear, the march of the cross is. The empire is going to try to destroy Jesus. So that is actually a really good, I'm just saying, John Williams, Stephen Hans, your interaction with scripture. So after the transfiguration, the music score in the gospel story changes from a major to a minor key. In Lent, the season we're observing now is a season of walking with Jesus towards his coronation by crucifixion. And one of the most fascinating aspects of the transfiguration is the mysterious appearance of two titans from the Old Testament who lived centuries before Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And of course, with Moses is the lawgiver, and Elijah is the prototypical prophet. They represent the Old Testament itself. Moses and Elijah are the law and the prophets. I hope you guys were able to grasp what Daniel was sharing with the kids, because it kind of summarizes that very well. What the law and the prophets aimed to do but never accomplished, Jesus would accomplish. It is Jesus Christ, not Moses and Elijah, who fully inaugurate the kingdom of God. The Mount of Transfiguration is where Moses and Elijah find their successor and bear witness that it is Christ who will complete what they had begun. In the Stygian darkness of the pagan world, the law and the prophets did enable the Hebrew people to to move forward in their understanding of who God is. And the law and the prophets were similar to the moon and the stars that enabled Israel to navigate a treacherous world of idolatry and injustice. But when the day dawns, the moon and the stars recede and give way to the rising sun. Jesus Christ is the sunlight of righteousness, risen with healing in his rays. And Moses and Elijah have come to Tabor to bear witness to the greatness of the Son of God, or the one who was going to get the job done. 
Simon Peter missed the point, thinking instead of erecting three shrines, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. I love Simon. He's always like jumping to action points, circumventing thinking. I'm like, oh, my people, thank you for giving me a place in this story, God. But this idea of making the law and the prophets equal to Christ is shot down when the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, because Jesus is God's word to us. So if Moses says to practice capital punishment and to stone certain sinners, Jesus says, let the person without sin cast the first stone. And God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Or if Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume the soldiers sent to arrest him, Jesus says, love your enemies. And God said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Wars and conquests, capital punishment, the very concept of uh, violent retribution or uh, uh, retributive, retributive versus restorative justice, uh, the idea of slavery or woman held as property, you can find all of those in the story of the Bible. Not saying thou shalt treat women as property, but they're contained within the story. But then you see the light brighter than the sun shining. And this is what I always am going back to the Hebrews. Hebrews is the New Testament book explaining how to delve into God's inspired word in the Old Testament and see how it points to Jesus. And the Bible says about the Bible, since it's a library of 66 books, it can talk about itself. And the Bible says you had a shadowy vision and Jesus is the crystal clear vision. And you know, if you see, you can see things dimly, you can ha be half blind without eye correction as I was for many years and still find your way down the sidewalk to get somewhere. Like for me, get the Dairy Queen from my house, which was not a good thing. Um, but now I can see the cracks in the sidewalk and make sure I don't step on any praying mantises because they're cool. So Jesus is the shiny revelation in the dim revelation was what came before. I, I oftentimes think, you know, suboxone and methadone are not wonderful substances, but they can save your life when getting off heroin. And I oftentimes think of the law was helpful and it weaned people off. Well, for instance, people practiced child sacrifice and they turned it into lamb chops. Lamb chops are better than killing people. That's, that was like what happened there. So, you know, now if you eat nothing but lamb, that may be bad for your health, but it did wean people off of killing people to appease whatever their concept of God was. May we learn to see the glorious countenance of Christ. So guys, I, I spent a lot of time in like Southern Ohio and I, I I, love I feel like I'm a chameleon of sorts. I'm, I'm part good old boy, but I also like going to comic book conventions, and I'm, got a, I'm a hardcore nerd. I love technology. Uh, I uh, used to kind of be somewhat of a hacker. Uh, but I, I enjoy it all. It's not like I'm shifting. I just really enjoy everything. And the problem with the way I'm wired neurologically, anything I start to enjoy, I never stop enjoying. So I still like Mr. Rogers like I was four years old because 
Some people who are not neurotypical never know, never just have phases of maturity where they enjoy different things. They just accrue interests, as my action figure collection will testify to. But I think uh, when I'm in Southern Ohio, I see a lot of things. It just reminds me of what I experienced growing up from a lot of followers of Jesus. And that is the Bible is just this complex mess of all these rules, and you need to have someone to interpret it. And somehow the ones people focus on are not necessarily the story Jesus focused on. And I, 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 I heard more about just war growing up than I did about it's better to be a victim of violence than be a perpetrator of violence. And I, this idea that I've got to read the Bible, it's too hard to understand unless I have a million commentaries. But then when I started just reading the Gospels over and over and over, I said, you know, Jesus isn't that hard to understand. And once you understand Jesus, you can see how everything that came before pointed to Jesus, and you can see a beautiful record of people getting it right and getting it wrong, all inspired by Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't say when Lot's daughters got him drunk and did some uh, non-audiences uh, things. Uh, it doesn't say, therefore, it was okay. The reader is left to go, duh, that was wrong. And uh, the, the Old Testament doesn't really give commentary on itself because it was meant to be interpreted within a community where the Holy Spirit was present. It wasn't about your own personal relationship with God. It was about a nation figuring God out. But I found out, with, I had a conversation with one of my friends in Southern Ohio, and he had basically picked out all the texts about being afraid of people from other cultures. And that had formed his view of how faith integrates with life in America. But I have another friend, Luis, who's not from rural Ohio. My friend Luis is from Vallarta, Mexico. And he, he married uh, Rachel, who is from Troy, Troy, Ohio, which is not as great as a vacation destination as Vallarta. I'm just saying, the love boat never went to Troy. But because I'm proximate relationship, uh, Luis is, is been abused, and they are being abused by a system right now that is congruent with fearing other people groups. Whereas Jesus says, go into all the world. Jesus was, uh, Jesus was all about his followers freely traveling anywhere because he expected them to do so. And there really was, the only thing you, you never really risked getting in trouble going anywhere, just maybe dying back in the day. But there was no paperwork, let's put it that way. But now Luis has been married for some time to Rachel, and he's not legally allowed to go. And, you know, guys, I, like, the Bible is filled with psalms that have people getting angry at God based on things that other people did to show us Hey, God can take it and be angry at God sometimes. Bless you. And I'm so glad you guys shared this with this congregation because we don't do saccharin here, my friends. And I'm angry too. And I'm, I'm, I'm standing alongside you guys in anger because the transfigured Jesus we see gives us a kingdom that contradicts fear and contradicts fear of the other. And the irony... Uh, 
the irony of these policies, I, I'm just going off on a little tangent, but it does relate to the truth of Jesus. That is, if someone really cares about the economy, Adam Smith, father of capitalism, wealth of nations, wrote about the necessity of barely regulated immigration or unregulated immigration for free enterprise and capitalism to work. So if you say you're for that, maybe, maybe you wonder why the economy is struggling. Or if you're a Christian, and you think every tribe, tongue, and nation before Jesus in the gospel is more important than uh, who you voted for. And it just so happens that the most evangelistic group of Christians in the United States who have the most effective presentation of the gospel are Latino immigrants, regardless of legal status. And it's all one-on-one -on -one relational friends. And the thing is, if people care about the gospel, we better let more people uh, from uh, South, uh, from uh, Central America, Mexico, and into our nation, because they're the ones taking the risks for the gospel more than people like me. So whether you're a capitalist or you're a Jesus freak like me, if you want to see revival and you're praying for revival, we put aside fear or economic protectionism, which actually economic protectionism hurts you. And we just say, bring people and let the gospel flow. And the, transfi you know, the transfigured Jesus, the Jesus post-resurrection, who was fully revealed, because people say the glory of God, tra transfiguration was a preview to the resurrection of Jesus. And the transfigured Jesus is a Jesus that says, forget about, I mean, go to Jerusalem, but go to Judea. Go, what's the next one? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Oh, go to Samaria, which is all the people they hated culturally. Into the, where next? Into the ends of the earth. Meaning, hey guys, freely travel across every border around here because I love everyone. I like that policy. And that is the transfigured Jesus that surpasses any, but we want to side with Moses and God bless Moses. So, Transfiguration is a feast in the church, actually. And the, I'll tell you what, uh, Irenaeus, second century, many of you heard the quote The glory of God is a man fully alive. Who's heard that? Or a human fully alive. Do you know they cut off the end of it? The glory of God is a man fully alive who sees Jesus revealed for who he is or sees the transfigured, or has the transfiguration spirit. You, we cannot be fully alive unless we gaze on the resurrected one. Because a fully alive person never fears death, because like the early church, they say, the worst you can do is kill me, and it won't stick. A person fully alive is willing to lay down their life for their brother or sister or enemy, because they know it won't stick. The countless people, you know, um, I love this. The Moravian missionaries that came out of this prayer revival, uh, much like their uh, Celtic forebears, who during St. Patrick's catalyzed the global missions movement as well. We talk about them getting rid of snakes and being anti-herpetology. But what we, do, we don't know if that's true, but we do know St. Patrick catalyzed the global missions movement. What they would do is, let's take a boat of people to this place we've never been and tell them Jesus loves you. And if... One person comes back and says, everyone else died. He goes, well, at least you still have the boat. Let's go back. 
And this reason we talk about Jesus today is because people had seen the transfigured Jesus, the Jesus of the resurrection, and said, nothing's going to stop us. And guys, fully alive, fully alive is loving your enemies. Fully alive is ain't nothing going to break my stride, ain't nothing going to hold me down, meaning we're not going to be held down by fear and hatred. That we, nothing can stop us. So when, when people talk about, in America, we actually have all these people talking about persecution because people don't agree with them. And it's not persecution to people disagree with them. Otherwise, Adrian and I would be persecuting each other all the time. And we actually do something else that's a lot more life-giving than that. But we do disagree a lot. And we work through it. And then Jesus is in our midst. And I want to tell you, like, it's not people thinking you a jerk isn't persecution because you've probably been a jerk. Right? If everyone thinks you're mean, you're probably mean. And mean is not a fruit of spirit. But ironically, I have friends in a nation that will not be named. That just, you know, freedom of the press is gone. The internet filters went up last week. And it, freedoms keep contracting more and more. And guess what they don't talk about? Persecution. Guess what they do talk about? Hey, let's go help the fatherless and the widow and the alien and the stranger experience God's love through our generosity and hear the story of God's love, the crucified, resurrected Jesus, and say, guess what? We're not damned to live under karma. You're not in poverty because you did something in a former life. You're in poverty because the world is broken, and we are not going to obey the broken protocols. We're going to obey Jesus, and the poor will get the best education, which wait till you hear what's going on in Asia's Hope Sunday coming up here. If you go to Facebook, you'll see a little preview on there that's up there right now. Transfigured life. Um, so a person fully alive is the ultimate glory to God, and we're fully alive by seeing the glorious God in the resurrection. Guys, anyone watch the show Fringe? This is one of J.J. Abrams' better efforts. No one? Man, it's the best sermon illustration ever. Maybe two of you. Uh, Rob, you watched it, didn't you? Okay, you didn't raise your hand, but I could just see the nerd eyes. There. Well, basically the idea of multiverse theory, that there's many different earths and worlds and multiple dimensions, and what happens when two dimensions of the same earth merge into one, everything explodes. That's not how it works, but they call those fringe events whenever the two dimensions cross over. The scriptures teach about the kingdom of God. It's there, it's here, it's to come, it's within, without, but it's not fully here yet. Fringe events, the kingdom of God Whenever we experience it, whenever someone's healed, whenever justice is done, whenever the ignorant are educated, the hungry eat, those are fringe events of God's good kingdom breaking into this present evil age. And what this transfiguration was, was a fringe event where we, where the veil got lifted, people could see, yes, Jesus is all that. Now, before you get cataracts and get your eyes burned out, we're going to pull the veil back. The transfiguration was a fringe event. And when the kingdom comes, it says when, at the renewal of all things, is when the overlaying dimension of heaven fully unites with this dimension, we'll have creation as it was before the fall. We won't have entropy. We'll have unencumbered, beautiful species, evolutionary uh, diversification. We'll be able to witness in our own lives new flowers come about. 
Who's here's a bird watcher? I mean, God apparently likes species diversity. It'll keep growing. We won't have a seasonal affective disorder, but we'll somehow have the rains that always renew your heart. Everything we see that's beautiful on this planet will be more beautiful. Everything that was destroyed, all the mountains where the tops were cut off in West Virginia for strip mining will come back. And the, the, the renewal of all things is that transfiguration dimension, the barriers between them. There was a great divorce, and this is the great reunification, where all creation is renewed. And guess what, Luis? All creation is renewed. Guess, guess what? Guess what travel restrictions are on you? First of all, the new creation, your brother lives. Your brother lives. Your... Your, all your family has had their tears wiped away. And the tear ducts are going to be only repurposed for joy and eyelid lubrication. And the renewal of all things, Jesus has already been elected. He's not up for re-election. His reign has been inaugurated, but there's still vestiges of the empire wreaking havoc around the world and just because you know satan the emperor has gone down the chasm doesn't mean his reign and his influence is still wreaking havoc and guys we're invited to basically just say whatever dude we're going to obey the new law i'm not a republican i'm not a democrat i may vote if i can hold my nose good enough you know lesser of evils i'm a jesus jesus can i'm a jesus crat i'm a Lover of Jesus in the Adrian. I am running over. Okay, a little later Sunday. So, um, famous trans. By the way, people can have transfiguration revelation and still be broken people with disorders. I believe I have had like paranormal experiences where I've had an indescribable revelation of God's love in my life. And I still struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder and clinical depression and whatever. I won't go over the whole list with you. You can just buy a DSM-5 and read it. But I've also had enough revelation where I get to stand and live and walk in the goodness of Jesus despite what any diagnosis says. And I believe that's true for any of us. You may be a poor person of no influence in this world, but those are the people who are, the, I call them beatitudinal, the valley dwellers, not the mountain conquerors, not the seven mountain malarkey, but the eight values of the beatitudes, where the, the, the poor and the disenfranchised get to lead and carry forth the banner of God's love. That is transfiguration theology. And uh, one of my favorite dudes, Blaise Pascal, uh, really messed up guy. He was also kind of a, a genius savant. He kind of reinvented geometry, I think, at age between age eight and twelve on his own. He was homeschooled, so he probably was a little socially awkward, like my kids are sometimes because they were. So we have Blaise Pascal, um, one of the smartest guys. Uh, when he died, someone got a hold of his jacket and he had woven into an account of his transfiguration experience. It was called the Night of Fire. And he had a revelation of God, like what these guys had. Now, throughout his life, he affiliated with a cult in the church called Jansenists, which I really think they were a bummer. He, uh, he still had some self-loathing. 
he bought into some theology, I think, is a recipe for depression and missing the point. Yet he also got how majestic God was. And he wrote the ultimate book about uh, the existence of God called La Pensee. I say it's great because he never finished it. It's a bunch of ADD trails. If you read it, they're just numbered. He never finished the book. And the genius of the book is it's almost like this document that you try to figure out how he was going to complete it. So it's this ultimate postmodern participate in the book. So if you ever love Pensee, some parts of it I think are bunk. Most of it I think is awesome. But uh, Pascal had some really brokenness to him and also some real beauty to him. And I think we can have our transfiguration experience. And we'll still screw up in life but our destiny is assured. I want to read Pascal's Night of Fire. People who equate charismatic experiences of God with anti-intellectualism, um, you need to talk to St. Simeon, the new theologian, uh, uh, AD 500, probably the greatest mind who ever lived, uh, one of them at least. You gotta to talk to Pascal. Here was his Night of Fire he wrote about, and I think God wants to offer us all our own day, night, lunchtime, tea time of fire. He wrote this. Monday, 23rd November, if we can stand and worship folks can get up here. It's the feast of St. Clement, Pope and martyr, and others in the martyrology uh, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight. So um, that's two and a half hours. And here's what he writes. Fire, period. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is only found in the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that you know the one true God and the one that sent, the one you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, I renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is the only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director, eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Yeah. If you ran that through a grammar check, it'd be a mess. One of the greatest minds ever on the earth. He had his circuits overloaded by our revelations of God's love. And in that revelation of God's love, I believe that is attainable to everyone because even just in reading the scripture and seeing what the resurrection experience in people did, and it wasn't just Acts. You read the book of Acts, it's an anticlimax because it doesn't climax because we're living it. And you know, out of a Holy Spirit revival in Victorian England emerged social work, education for men and women, uh, health care available to the poor, all literally came out of a bunch of holy rollers that weren't very scholarly, who discipled scholarly people 
that said, hey, if you want to teach Jesus in your classes, you better teach the poor, not just the Oxford and Cambridge. Man, I'm always going to be referring to this until I finally write it all down. But let me tell you, we cannot separate transfiguration theology. We cannot separate charismatic experience from justice. We cannot separate an experience of God's Holy Spirit without good news to the poor, good news to women, racial reconciliation. We cannot have a charismatic or experience the charismatic presence of the Holy Spirit without being passionate for immigrants, the fatherless, the widow, the alien, the stranger. We cannot separate. It's not social justice and Holy Spirit theology. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't separate cardio and pulmonary. Blood ain't nothing without breathing. Breathing ain't nothing without blood. Guys, it's Jesus. So we'll get the people who are praying for you today. So many of you are wounded. You're limping, your physical pain, your spiritual pain. You are being, having your butt kicked by the injustice that every country brings. And guys, if you want a word of encouragement of transfigurational living, go to Central Vineyard's Facebook page and tune into our Kiev worship services in the churches that in the basements in the churches in Kiev today worship and share communion and realize nothing can stop it. And we're going to share communion here. Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, on the most death, what, what could be a worse night than your best friend sign you up for the death list? He, he takes Passover that was a nationalist celebration for the people of Israel and made it a global celebration of reconciliation. He gave thanks and suffered. He broke the bread and said, guys, I'm broken for you. I'm the broken Messiah. You're going to have to wrestle with that. After the supper, he took the cup. And there was a lot of cups downed in the Passover feast. He says, guys, prepare to be grossed out. He didn't say that. He said, this cup is, is my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. We are not celebrating the Savior who sheds blood, but the Savior whose blood was shed. Holy Spirit, deliver us from timidity. Help us to fearlessly live out your love for people and experience your love for us. Heal us from all our self-harming ways and help us to be healers of others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Guys, get prayer for empowerment today because we are going to do this. Bless you.